May I have a seat? Thank you, worship team. Uh, my name is Femi Shakoya. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. The scripture for today for second service is Matthew chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 16 through 39. They can be found on page 1483 in the Pew Bible. I'm going to take a breath because it's a lot to read. Matthew chapter 10, starting from verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So, do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. These are the words of the Lord written for his people. Good morning, High Point. Merry Christmas. My name is Tim Check, and if we have not met, that is because I have not been around here for very long. I am six months into my two-year pastoral fellowship, and a pastoral fellowship means that I graduated from seminary recently, 
I graduated from Denver Seminary with my MDiv in May, and now I'm here for the next year and a half. So I'd love to meet you. If I haven't already, I'll be out in the lobby or up here after the service. I'd love to say hi and get to know you a little bit. I recently got engaged <laughs> to the wonderful Joy Hartle. If you, you probably know her more than me, she's far more energetic. <laughs> that's, that's not saying much for me, but you know. We had an awesome Christmas week with our families. We were able to visit her family for a few days and visit my family for another couple days. And we had what I would consider the greatest Christmas meal of all time, that being ham and cheesy potatoes. Because what's better than having your classic Midwestern meat and potato staple and Wisconsinizing it by adding cheese? Can I get an amen? <laughs> we, we had all the fixings, the dinner rolls, the salad, the veggies, and about 7,000 kinds of Christmas cookies. My mom is a pro, and she prepares far in advance for any meal that we're having, especially Christmas dinner. And, and like my mom, probably, well, the hardest part for her is figuring out how many pans of cheesy potatoes her three adult sons are going to eat this year. But because of that, she doesn't start preparing when it's time to eat. No one starts preparing when it's time to eat. Imagine the confusion if we were to walk up to the table, gather around, enjoy each other's company, have good conversation, sit down and turn to mom and say, hey mom, what's for dinner this year? And she says, well that's a great idea. What did you have in mind? Any thoughts? We'd be very confused and very hungry and it would not be as fun as it would. No one starts preparing when it's time to eat. And yet, what if that's what we try to do spiritually? Today we're going to talk about preparing for opposition. And yet, when was the last time that you or that I really reflected on the last trial that we went through? When was the last time that we sat down and prayed for perseverance, processed what had happened, tried to prepare better for the time to come? Because what about next time? What about the next time that I receive opposition at home or at work? Am I prepared? Am I supported? Am I do I have the encouragement of those around me to help me endure that time? Do I have the normal rhythms, the spiritual disciplines to prepare me for the opposition that is to come? Because what we're talking about this morning, Jesus is very passionate about. His disciples needed to learn this. I want to help us prepare for opposition in a way that allows us to not just thrive in the pews of High Point Church or whatever church you may visit on a regular basis, but to go from this place 
and to thrive as the people of Madison or Wisconsin or the United States in this coming 2020 and beyond. In this passage, Jesus talks about opposition coming to his disciples from multiple sources. He talks about external sources of opposition from the culture or specific antagonistic individuals. But he also talks about opposition to the message of Jesus from within ourselves, our inclinations toward discouragement and toward self-preservation. Opposition is coming. Let us be prepared. And the first thing right off the bat that Jesus mentions is that shrewdness and innocence prepare us for external opposition. We're going to spend the first part of today focusing on the external opposition, and then we'll move to the internal. And Jesus says right off the bat in verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. This Advent season, we've been talking here at High Point about putting on the full armor of God. We had this awesome series called Jesus the Incarnate Warrior, where Nick and Lloyd talked us through what it means to be a warrior fighting the true enemy, to put on, to be girded up with the truth, to have the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace on your feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And what it looks like to fight the true spiritual enemy in the spiritual realm, to be a warrior in pursuit of peace, but yet to be a warrior. And here, Jesus is saying, it might seem like Jesus is saying something similar, where he's continuing the call to prepare for the opposition, to perhaps it might seem he's calling us to go out and fight and to use this armor and to take on the world and those who oppose us and really win the victory over the day. And yet, when we dive into the passage, we see that he's calling us to be sheep among wolves. He's calling us to be shrewd and innocent. In the spiritual realm, we're called to put on the full armor and fight with the word of God. And yet, in the physical realm, against actual human beings and other people, he calls us to shrewdness and innocence. The sheep among wolves is an analogy that really points out the hostility difference between the disciples of Jesus and those who oppose that message. If you're familiar with sheep, you might know that they are some of the least intimidating creatures on the planet. They... They don't do a whole lot of fighting. I was, I was looking online for, you know, man mauled to death by a sheep, and I was not, unable to find anything. They're, the only thing I came across was a shepherd who was injured by his sheep because the sheep were running away from something, and he happened to be in the way, and the rest is history. But the sheep are calm and generally docile. They don't do a whole lot of aggressive things. Wolves, on the other hand, 
are perhaps the extreme opposite of that. Wolves hunt in packs. They are the most agile. They, their teeth quickly and efficiently cut through the skin of their prey. If there's one animal that you don't want to come across walking through the woods, it is perhaps a wolf. So the point here is not necessarily that the disciples of Jesus as sheep really just need a shepherd to guide them through, and that's the end of the message. But rather, the point is that Jesus is sending his disciples out into a hostile world. And this hostility is not new. It was in Jesus' time as he was preparing his disciples. It has continued throughout history, 2,000 years of whether it's government, systematic oppression, or specific one-on-one individual oppression as well. And this is probably not new for your life either. You might experience what it's like to be a sheep among wolves every day. Perhaps even in your family. When you went home for Christmas, maybe you felt like what you believed was like going among a wolf pack. Maybe at work, your coworkers, your boss, are people who do not appreciate what you believe, and in fact, they might be hostile or aggressive. Perhaps it's even your best friend, somebody you grew up with that you've done life with for many years, and yet your worldviews are contrastingly different. They might tolerate what you believe and yet be hostile towards you. They might talk about the illusions of religion. They might talk about the evils done in the name of religion. They might talk about how religions are just a self-help coping mechanism for us to feel better about the trials of life. Persecution is not new to you. And yet, Jesus is calling us to face this opposition differently than putting on armor, physical armor, and fighting with a physical sword. He's calling us to shrewdness and innocence. First, shrewdness. Shrewdness helps us avoid the traps of our oppressors. The word shrewdness is an English word that is from the, I think, the 16th century or 15th century, and it originally had the connotation of evil in character or nature, strictly a negative connotation. Over time, it developed the sense of cunning or wisdom, a practical, sneaky wisdom, like a snake. Jesus says, May we be as shrewd as snakes. And like a snake is able to kind of slither its way through obstacles, so he's calling his disciples to be shrewd or wise in the way that they approach the world in front of them. Imagine walking through a minefield and yet knowing exactly where the mines were and how each of them worked. It'd be pretty easy to get from here to there if you knew exactly where the mines were and how they all worked. 
And now imagine with the shrewdness that comes from the spirit of God walking into the minefield of opposition, maybe at work or at home, and knowing exactly the opposition that was to come your way and exactly how with this sneaky, cunning wisdom, yet based in the truth of God, how to go about that. Shrewdness helps us avoid the traps of our oppressors. It raises our guard to help identify those snares. The other thing shrewdness does is help us to recognize the true enemy. I mentioned the Advent series before, and we learned from Nick and Lloyd that the true enemy is not you or me or another person on the planet. The true enemy is one in the spiritual realm. The, the schemes and the deceit of the devil. The spiritual enemy is the true enemy. And when we recognize with shrewdness and wisdom who the true enemy is, it frees us to live with compassion and love and affirm, affirmation towards one another, all the while fighting the true spiritual enemy in the spiritual realm. Shrewdness helps us avoid the traps of our opposers. And in the same sentence, Jesus says, be innocent as doves. Innocence makes us worth listening to. The dove analogy is one used in scripture. The dove is representative of purity or wholesomeness or goodness. And remember when Jesus was baptized, his, uh, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Noah's ark, the dove is the one that came back with the olive branch to signify that the earth was cleansed from the flood, the wrath of God, and that it was okay, the earth was now pure and ready for the people to live on the earth once again. Innocence makes us worth listening to because it preserves our witness and our credibility. It makes us above reproach and gives no foothold for criticism. People might criticize us or speak wrongly about us, and yet innocence, our righteousness in Christ, gives that criticism no foothold. I think of someone like Tim Tebow, He's a, maybe a polarizing figure in our day and age today. But Tim Tebow has seemingly, I don't know him personally, but I know that when I've seen him on TV, he has seemed unashamed about the message of Jesus. He used to write John 3.16 on his eye black in college football. He used to unashamedly proclaim Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he got a lot of opposition for it. And yet, the way he lived his life elevated him above reproach. It elevated him. His innocence did not distract from his witness. His actions did not take away from what he was trying to get across to these people through the mediums of football or television. Innocence makes us worth listening to. And you might ask, okay, Tim, how do I pursue innocence? And the answer is, 
We pursue innocence through growth. It's a conscious effort to listen to and obey the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.22 talks about a constant taking off of the old self and a putting on of the new self. It's this constant exchange of putting off sin and putting on the righteousness of God to grow into the person that God created us to be. Pursuing innocence and blamelessness so that we, our witness and our credibility is not discredited. Innocence makes us worth listening to. External opposition from our culture, from specific individuals is coming. Let us prepare for it with shrewdness and innocence. Shrewdness helps us avoid the traps of our oppressors, our opposers, and innocence makes us worth listening to. And yet Jesus did not only talk about external oppression. This is not a woe is us message where we are supposed to feel pity for ourselves and yet go to the political realm to make everything better for ourselves. This is to be expected. And yet Jesus also talks about this internal opposition that is coming. And throughout this passage, if we look at it holistically, we see that Jesus really desires for his disciples to be prepared for that internal opposition. That faith and perspective would be the two things that would prepare us for internal opposition. First, let's look at at faith. Faith overcomes the fear of self-preservation. Fear is a powerful motivator. We are designed with a fight, flight, or freeze instinct in our body. And it's driven by a self-preservation instinct. If I'm walking through the woods and I encounter a predator, my fight, flight, or freeze instinct will kick in. My sister-in-law was just telling me about the time that she encountered a bear in the woods. Thankfully, she was hunting bears, but she was not yet prepared to be in a position to, you know, be hidden and look for the bears uh, from behind a tree or up a tree or whatever it is. She came across one while she was walking. And instantly her fight or flight or freeze instincts went into effect. Her, Her brain started taking in all the things around her to analyze the situation and help her make the best decision possible. Did the bear see her? Was she able to run back inside? Was there an object around for her to fight offensively against the bear? Was there a tree to climb? The bear could probably climb a tree, but it might give her a leg up. Freezing didn't help, maybe for one second to analyze it, but that fight or flight or freeze instinct helped her stay alive. That fear, in that context, is a really good thing. And yet, what happens when I start to fear people, too? When my self-preservation instinct and fear rules my motivation, and everyone around me is a threat, especially those that, def- that oppose me to my face. How, then, do I prepare for that opposition? 
unless I'm prepared with faith, this fear will win the day. So maybe a personal example of self-preservation will help a little more. For me, the example that hits home the most is myself as an introvert. And yet, as one bringing this message of Jesus to the people. I, I'm an introvert. It means that I love time by myself to be recharged and re-energized. It doesn't necessarily mean that I hate people or that I am a hermit and don't enjoy being around others. But it does mean that some social interactions with people I have not met before are less comfortable for me. I can chalk it up to being wired this way, and when spiritual conversations present themselves, I can shrink back and say, you know, what would, what would that person think of me if, if I tell them about what I believe? There was a time at, I was working in one of my first jobs after college. I was in this big room with a bunch of cubicles, and the trouble was that if you talk to the person next to you, the seven people around you could also hear the conversation. And I was very aware of that, given other people's conversations. And yet, spiritual conversations would present themselves naturally. What did you do this weekend, Tim? Oh, I went to church. Oh, why do you go to that church? Etc. And enter right in. And yet, I would shrink back and, and fear maybe what that person would think or what the other people around me would think. Maybe they would think less of me my fear of self-preservation would kick in and, and keep me quiet. And if that fear is the driving motivator in our lives, we are not going to be very effective against the opposition that comes from within. But when God and trust and faith in his power and his character come to supplant that fear, then we're able to derive our motivations for living from God rather than fear. Jesus talks about this in verse 26. He says, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In this section, Jesus encourages us to fear the right thing. Not to get rid of fear altogether, but to fear God more than man. There are three do not be afraids, starting in verse 26, do not be afraid of them. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. And verse 31, so do not be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. And in fact, he contrasts that with one, rather be afraid. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's a reference to God himself. God himself has the power to save and destroy. God alone is holy, set apart, not like us. 
God alone is to be feared rightly. And in the same breath, Jesus mentions not only the fear of God, but also God as the most caring. He says, only God is able to save. Only God cares for the sparrow, the one where two are sold for a penny. Only God numbers the hairs on your head and knows you so intricately and deeply and fully. Only God can care for you in the way that you truly need to be cared for. This faith in the right thing, this fearing God above all else, it will overcome the fear from self-preservation. And lastly, we look at perspective. Perspective lifts our eyes and overcomes discouragement. I ask myself, okay, why did Jesus even say these things to his disciples? Why did Jesus spend maybe 10 minutes going over this list of oppositions with his disciples before sending them out? Couldn't he have expected them to learn it along the way and, you know, they're going out at least two by two, so they at least have one other person to learn from and with. But as I thought about it more, the more I thought about how discouragement is always knocking. Discouragement is always at the door, ready to crush any motivation or spirit-led inspiration in our souls. Maybe you've experienced opposition and that is leading to discouragement. Maybe your kids are not walking with the Lord and that's discouraging. Maybe you've seen your job as a mission field for the Lord to do amazing work and yet you haven't seen fruit and that's discouraging. Maybe your family only tolerates your beliefs and the more you try to bring up spiritual conversations, the more they shoot you down. And that's discouraging. Discouragement is always knocking at the door. Jesus spent 10 minutes saying these things to his disciples so that they would be prepared for discouragement. You prepare for discouragement with perspective. In, in this scripture, Jesus says in verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus says this division, this opposition is expected. Do not let the discouragement that might accompany it crush the work of the Spirit within you. He says in John 16.33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Opposition is here, yet don't be discouraged. As we've been talking about, once again, this Advent series of Jesus the Incarnate Warrior, we talk about putting on the full armor of God, and I, I pictured a warrior stepping up to the battle, girding on the truth, the righteousness breastplate, the peace of the gospel, 
having the shield, having the helmet, having the sword. They step up, they kind of look themselves over to make sure everything's in place. And yet, they are not prepared for battle unless they lift up their eyes to see what's coming. We are not ready for battle unless we lift up our eyes from what's right in front of us to the big grand picture that Jesus is painting for us. We are only prepared for battle when we lift up our eyes and see the result of the war, that Christ has definitively won the victory. When we have our battle vision on, we're not only able to see what's right in front of us, but we're able to see with perspective that Jesus has won the victory over sin, over death, over the grave. And that regardless of what comes at us, we are, we are sure, we are prepared, we are ready in the grand picture. Perspective lifts our eyes and overcomes discouragement. So today we've been talking about a few things. Opposition is coming. Let us be prepared. First, we talked about shrewdness and innocence preparing us for the external opposition and how faith and perspective prepare us for the internal opposition. And there's three application points that I'd love for us to wrap our heads around as we go out from this place today. First, as I mentioned earlier, let us reflect on previous trials. Take a second, and if something comes to mind, sit down, journal about it, think through how prepared you were in the power of the Holy Spirit to face that thing. Maybe it's joining a small group to have people around you to support you and encourage you. Maybe it's getting a mentor to learn godly wisdom from somebody who's gone before you in these ways. Secondly, preparing spiritually, putting on that armor. This is all fruitless unless we have prepared ourselves spiritually with the armor of God. And thirdly, staying connected. A sheep is only as safe as they are connected to the flock. A sheep that wanders off by itself is either going to fall down a hole or be eaten by a predator. They are not likely to continue to grow. We grow by staying connected to the flock. We stay connected to the flock by growing. May we continue to stay connected. Now, if you're new to church, this whole message might seem confusing. You might say, Tim, okay, I, I get what you're saying, that opposition is coming to the message of Jesus, but if you're, if you're new here, you might say, why even say anything about this message at all? Why not just live your life inconspicuously, talk about the weather and sports and all the things that people love to talk about, your kids even? Why bring up this message that is to invite opposition to us? And it's a great question. And the answer is that this message is good news to everyone. This gospel is worth sending regardless of the opposition that comes. The context of this message that Jesus, God incarnate, 
like we celebrate at Christmas, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on a cross for the sins of all humanity, rose again three days later, redeeming us, restoring a right relationship with us to the Father. This undeserved favor shown by God to us, this grace makes not only Jesus, the sender, worth praising, but it makes his message worth sending. Opposition is coming. May we be prepared for both external and internal opposition. May we be prepared to live fully as the people of God in 2020 and beyond. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. Help us to be prepared for whatever is to come. God, help us to live in total awareness, shrewdness and innocence of the opposition that is to come externally and with true faith in your power and your character, with your perspective, God. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to come and to fill us and to motivate us, to fill us with joy as we go from this place. God, give us your vision for what life will be like. Would you be our vision this morning, God? We love you and we trust you and we need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.